Hey, it's Travis. I wanted to take this moment to discuss our sponsor, BetterHelp. I used to think talking to a therapist was a sign of weakness until I started talking to one. It has really helped me limit the negative chatter that can infiltrate my brain. Therapy has helped me become a more insightful person, father, and husband. That's why I'm excited to tell you about BetterHelp. Their online platform makes finding a therapist incredibly easy. Fill out a brief questionnaire and you will be matched with a therapist in just a few days. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes, betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes, or click the link in my show notes. In doing so, you will be helping this show and you will receive 10% off your first month. If you aren't clicking with your therapist, if you're not getting a good vibe, BetterHelp will allow you to switch your therapist at any time with no additional cost. Online therapy is a game changer for me. I have such an erratic schedule. I work nights, weekends, late, early, holidays, you name it. Being able to video call my therapist from my phone in a call room, at work, or in my car, or whatever, it's extremely convenient for me and it allows me the time and the, the place to actually get my therapy in. So if you're struggling, if you need to talk to somebody, go to betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes and they'll get you set up with somebody. This has been my thank you note to BetterHelp for supporting this show. Hi, my name is Travis McVeigh. I'm an anesthesiologist from Dallas, Texas, and this is my podcast, Thank You Notes. It's a show about the practice of gratitude. It has been a while. It's been a couple months. Sorry for the delay. I've made a few changes in the show, and I'll get into those during today's episode. I have joined a podcast network called Ars Longa Media. One of the founders of this network is Patrick Beeman, who is my guest today. He's an OBGYN from Ohio. We talk about his stories from his time in the armed forces and his medical training. Over the next several weeks, we'll be hearing from physicians who are thanking their mentors. All of us doctors have people that have helped us along the way, and this is my way of saying thank you to doctors in academic medicine. They have dedicated their lives to teaching the next generation of doctors, and I feel they deserve some recognition. On a final note, while I was reviewing the video of this interview, getting ready for this episode, I noticed my dog Kirby napping in the background. Kirby passed away several weeks ago at the ripe old age of 16. I would like to dedicate this episode to him. He was a blessing to me, my family, and everybody who came across him, and we all miss him dearly. So now that I've thoroughly bummed you out, let's get to something happier. This is my interview with Dr. Patrick Beeman. Thank you for uh, jumping in here with me, Patrick. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So for people that are probably wondering uh, why the hiatus, um, there have been some changes at Thank You Notes podcast, and we'll talk to everybody about those. The teaser here is this is my new boss, Dr. Patrick Beeman, who is the founder of Ars Longa Media, and we'll get into that. So thank, uh, thank you again for being here. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, um, I was, it was a pleasure to discover your podcast and I'm just glad my initial enthusiasm um, was met with acceptance on your part because I, I really like the show's concept and I guess that's probably a unanimous uh, sentiment from your guests so far. So far, haven't found one that didn't like it. So maybe we'll find that. Uh, so we'll start off with a question I ask everybody. Do you write thank you notes? Yes and no. Um, I do make a practice to 
practice gratitude uh, for people in my life. The yes part is I do it in some form of medium, but I usually don't actually write a handwrite anything because, you know, classic doctor uh, stuff, I have terrible unreadable handwriting. So let's see, the last note I wrote was probably um, sometime in the past month, one of the companies I work for has a like uh, employee portal and they've really been pushing like recognizing your fellow colleagues or you know people that you're responsible for and I took time out to post like a a kudos it's called um uh, to one of the uh, counselors at my opioid treatment program clinic now you are a father how many children do you have uh five that I know of <laughs> and I know one is too little to write them. Do you make the other four write thank you notes for birthdays or something like that? I feel like not as much or consistently as I should. Certainly the the six-year-old, um, he has had to write thank you notes every year for his birthday gifts and whatnot. And I, I feel like we did kind of make the kids do this until, you know, they were roughly 12 or something and then um, have not been as judicious about encouraging it. We're trying, my daughter's three and uh, we, at least, you know, we'll, we'll have her write all over the card and we'll tell her why, why we're writing the card. And I, I think it's catching, we'll see when she gets a little older, but yeah, it's the way I was raised. And I'm glad to see that you're passing the gratitude practices onto your own kids. Ah, yes. I I was definitely raised that way. Um, Shout out and thank you to, to my mom and dad who uh, often, I think, probably always made me write a thank you note for any gift I received. The memory is not too clear, but I, I remember there being a meltdown on my part at some point because of, you know, the the abundance of gifts I got at like a party or something and um, really being resistant to writing those thank you notes. But, yeah, they they tried to school me right. Where did you grow up? Um, so I was born in Sandusky, Ohio, uh, America's roller coast, and then brief time in Toledo, mostly the Cleveland area. My hometown is Lorraine, Ohio, and went off to college in Southern Ohio, uh, med school in back in Toledo. Pretty much all my education has been in Ohio. The only time I lived anywhere else was stationed in the military when I was at St. Louis. Okay, what branch? What branch of the military were you in? Air Force. And that's what got you through college and med school and all that. Not college. I was a health professions uh, service scholarship. Um, so that's the pay for your med school um, in exchange for a year of service for each uh, year of support. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, my discharge paperwork says that I was on active duty seven months, uh, or excuse me, seven years, four months, and 11 days. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that I was counting. Yeah. Did you uh, Did you ever get deployed? No. Um, I did go on TDY, or temporary duty, um, military lingo. Uh, to Japan, uh, Masawa Air Force Base, way up in northern uh, Japan. And I was there about five months filling in for a 
uh, fellow doc who broke her wrist. I'm OBGYN, so it's kind of tough to deliver a baby one-handed. Well, uh, before we go, thank you for your service. Thank you for doing that. Oh, thanks for thanking me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I never know what to say with that. Uh, I uh, usually something like I appreciate that because <laughs> I do. I, honestly, it was just July Fourth, um, and that had me thinking a lot about you know just the the idea of being a citizen or loving your country and. I feel like that's another thing that you don't hear a lot about anymore. And I did make a point to at least, uh, you know, text my three oldest kids just, you know, hey, I hope you got time to reflect on the privileges we have in being citizens of the United States for all its faults. Um, you know, there's there's another plug for gratitude. Yes, it's, you know, that doesn't get thrown around enough on July 4th or Memorial Day or, you know, it's out there, but I don't think it's as prevalent. I think we were more focused on the day off of work and fireworks than we are on why we're celebrating these things. Uh, so where where did where did you do your training, your OBGYN residency? Yeah, so that was in the uh, Wright State University, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, mm-hmm. uh, combined military civilian OBGYN residency down in Dayton, Ohio, where they keep the aliens. Yes. Did you deliver any alien babies? Or can you neither confirm nor deny that? I I can neither confirm nor deny that. Okay. Uh, Did you do a fellowship? No, I did not. Um, When I, you know, I mean, you've been through it too. You go to med school, you some people have an idea of what specialty they want to go into. Some don't. I initially went in thinking pediatric surgery and then found out that it'd be a general surgery residency would be the first door to go through. There'd be a fellowship and, you know, some uh, pretty hardcore research. So I was like, mm, I'm definitely not doing 10 years of training. Yes. And then as I got through my core OBGYN rotation, I got assigned for half of it to a GYN oncologist. And GYN onc is four years of OBGYN and three, usually three uh, or four years of post OBGYN residency training. And I, I thought, well, that's two years less. Maybe I'll do GYN onc. Um, cause I mean, those, those are some cool surgeries. And then in residency by second year, I was like, mm, <laughs> uh, I don't think I can do another four years of training because it's, that's, it's a tough field because there's few of them and, you know, you're dealing with life and death and a lot of, you know, intricate surgical training is, is what makes it necessary to, to take that long. So yeah, those are gnarly surgeries, and you, I, a lot of OBGYNs, when they train, are very, very scared, and rightfully so, of touching colon or bowel or anything like that. And then the gen onc surgeons end up getting right in the thick of that and doing bowel anastomoses and resections, in addition to all of the, the pelvic organ stuff. And so those are gnarly, gnarly surgeries. So to spend three, year, three or four years just doing that, that that's pretty intense. I mean, I don't even know if I appreciate because I I don't know if I could go back and do it again. 
um, how I, I went through an OB, uh, residency. Like, I mean, it was really like 79 and a half hours per week. You know, we, we did pretty good about work hour restrictions, but to other people, that being your base kind of work commitment is insanity. Um, and it is tough. It's, it's taxing mentally and, and physically. Honestly, I, I think I missed like five workouts in a 10-year period in my 20s. And I still managed to exercise at least like five times a week while I was in residency. The majority of the time before being in the hospital, even as an intern at like 5.30 a.m. I have no idea yeah. how I did this. I had less children. But. <laughs> that That's how you did it. <laughs> so we're doing a, a special here, a, a special series on thank you notes where we uh, have doctors thank their mentors, thank the the doctors that trained them. So was there somebody from your training that sticks out or a lesson that you that they taught you that has stuck with you? Yeah. So um, unfortunately, he's deceased now, but um, Dr. Edmund Pellegrino, um, he was an internal medicine physician and author of over 600 books or articles on um, ethics, medical ethics, and other um, primary um, IM type research. But he's been called the father of bioethics. And it was seeing him talk in college uh, that was one of the big catalysts for me to, to go into medicine because I had been studying philosophy and theology as an undergraduate. And I had intended to to go on to graduate studies in in one or both of those disciplines. And then I heard Dr. Pellegrino speak. I was reading a lot of Marx at the time and just thinking about philosophy and the value of doing something active in the world with your your values and and he he was truly a physician, truly a philosopher. And I was like, I want to be like this guy. Um, so if there's anybody I could thank. And then I was his fellow at uh, Georgetown um, 2007 to 8 while he was the chair of the President's Council on Bioethics. Mm-hmm. Um, he was probably like 83 at the time. Um, just totally indefatigable though. I mean, he, you know, he, he pretty much, I think, kept that residency schedule his whole life, wrote on a typewriter, really interesting guy. Uh, he was the president of Catholic university of America at one point. I think he had seven kids or six kids, Mm -hmm. but you know, an incredibly impressive, um, human being, uh, and, uh, I'd be happy to link to this uh, in memoriam piece uh, in the show notes or a collection of his writings. I did. Uh, it's it's good stuff. Yeah, absolutely, and I'd like to read that as well. So you mentioned you were his fellow. So you did like a medical ethics fellowship a few years, ago, like out of training, or no? This was while I was a med student, so not a, okay. a not a GME or resident okay. type training fellowship, but. Okay. Like a year-long mentorship, essentially. And mm-hmm. um, I was working on uh, an application or exploring what's called the theology of the body, which is a, a large um, 
collection of, of talks or works um, by the philosopher, Polish philosopher Karol Wojtyla, better known as later Pope John Paul II, um, presented a, a just giant um, philosophical, theological reflection upon what it means to be a body person, um, not just having a body or creating this dualism, but a recognition of the fact that the human being is a body. Um, my idea was just kind of exploring this sort of reflection and its application to um, attitudes about the doctor-patient relationship and doctoring. Okay, so I want to shift gears to Ars Longa Media. So when did you start it and why did you start it? ALM, Ars Longa Media. First thing I would say is is the the name. Um, I love naming things. Uh, my children are Evangeline, Augustine, Silas, Soren, and now um, Maximus Severinus Boethius is the mm. full name of my youngest son. Um, might be a story for another time, but yeah, can't wait to see his driver's license when he grows up. I know, right? Um, <laughs> but Ars Longa Media. So that comes from a phrase that is often attributed to Hippocrates and is something that elementary Latin students learn. It's Ars Longa Vita Brevis, which literally is translated, uh, art is long, life is short. Um, maybe more loosely for modern years, it could be, you know, art endures, um, but life is short or something like that. And I had seen this phrase when I had picked up Latin in, in college um, in all the like intro type, you know, uh, coursework or textbooks. And a lot of people don't realize that it was actually for a long history been attributed to Hippocrates. Um hard to say whether or not that's true. In any case, he's the best candidate um, and was actually referring to the art of medicine. And because I'm a doctor and ALM is a health media and creativity company, I like to say, I stuck with the the Latin uh, and also I just love Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but why or how did it come about? So 2015 um, was the beginning of the third wave of podcasting, it's been called. And I had done a lot of work helping medical students prepare for their United States medical licensing exams, the USMLE or boards, and had noticed that there wasn't really anybody producing content um, for this particular group. In, in the podcast space. So I started a podcast called Inside the Boards and um, that just continued to, to grow. I always though knew that there were other like areas of content I wanted to uh, help contribute to, uh, you know, in philosophy or music's another interest. Naturally, Inside the Boards itself as a network grew to seven podcasts and I started listening to a lot of uh, mental health-related content and um, just wanted to be able to do some things more in healthcare, health education, mental health. And so 
got together with Todd Grande, who's a popular um, YouTube mental health content creator, Dr. Grande, and one of my partners in Inside the Boards, Dr. Ted O'Connell, um, who uh, wrote USMLE Step 2 Secrets and Crush Step 1, amongst many other things he does. And we decided to form Ars Longa Media out of Inside the Boards so that we could expand into these other um, content areas. So practically, that's how it happened. ALM officially stood by itself as of January 2021 is when we um, launched it. Okay, and so what kinds of shows can people find on ALM? Our main content areas deal with medical education, like um, the actual you know training content uh, for physicians or medical students, um, mental health, um, including kind of addiction-related content, and then health conceived more, you know, broadly. Like, for instance, we've got a uh, true crime psychology and personality podcast or a podcast on personality disorders called Cluster B, you know, the medical education stuff and hardcore humanism uh, with Dr. Mike Friedman, um, which is kind of a music and mental health show. As we go forward and grow, um, what I think people will expect to see more are shows that really feature the um, intersection of health and creativity. We'll be putting up like active project pages for um, people to look at things that we have on the back burner or are in the process of developing where we're looking for, you know, the community who wants this to happen to help contribute. Um, and a lot more content for physicians and uh, helping them just, you know, learn stuff on the go. I'm sure it's a struggle for you as it is for many of us to keep up with what we're, you know, supposed to read from our, you know, professional societies each year. Um, it's 100% necessary for physicians to stay up to date. So we're always learning. Um, but, you know, making use of that time in the car for me has been huge in terms of staying up to date and actually prepping for my most recent uh, certification exam. I'd like to see more stuff related to um, really empowering patients to learn about their health and navigate the craziness of the modern healthcare system. Uh, I really feel that that where things are, just all the complaints that patients have and physicians and other healthcare workers have about you know being in these broken systems will never measurably change until it gets out there in the world and the wider world to where, you know, there's a grassroots effort where patients demand, you know, say transparency in, in, in healthcare pricing, um, meaningful transparency. Why was my surgery, you know, the, the charges for my surgery stay $100,000 and then insurance paid two and I have to pay one. That makes no sense. But that sort of thing 
happens a lot. And there's lots of things that don't make sense in healthcare and demystifying the system for patients, I think can help them navigate it better and hopefully kind of empower us as physicians to, you know, affect change where we can within our local practices. Big goals, but, you know, it's their goals for an entire generation. I just hope that we can be a part of it. And that's why I'm glad that we're working together as well, because gratitude in and of itself is therapeutic. What uh, what I was thinking about while you were talking is a couple things. Number one, that when it comes to demystifying, it's not just patients that are seeking it because I've had patients ask me before a surgery, well, how much is your bill going to be? And you have and no I idea. Have, I have no idea. And that's what I tell them. I know. I say this all the time. To me, it's crazy. Like if you work at Taco Bell, like, you know, like where, you, you know, your money, your your salary comes from how many tacos you sell. You know how much it costs. The customer's not going to be like, whoa, that was $200. You know, there aren't any surprises. And it's in healthcare, people do not realize. Like I had a patient leave a, an online review and um, started accusing me of like only trying to like make money and being, you know, focused on the financial aspects. Yeah, I guess the listeners don't really know, but this is not me. Um, thankfully, yeah. also, he ended up taking it down. But so much of the perception this taught me that, that patients have, they don't realize how in the dark we are as, as well. There are so few people who actually know the economics of this, and that is crippling to our ability, I think, to lead, you know, and, and make positive changes within, you know, the hospitals and, and clinics in which we practice this art. The other thing that struck me while you were talking is that we're kind of at the crest of a movement now where we're talking about the mental health issues that are involved with medical training because we see residents going on strike. We see nurses going on strike because their patient ratios are going up. And the actual stress of the job, all of these things are kind of coming to a head. And I think Ars Longa is kind of tackling a lot of these things all at once. And I think it positions Ars Longa in a, in a good good spot to, to be in the, the conversation about all of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I 100% agree with you. This The kind of burnout issues amongst physicians, the mental health struggles that are built into medical training. Um, that's another reason I uh, started inside the boards because uh, the way I positioned it early on was essentially like uh, the goal of giving you resources to study for your exams on the go while you're doing other life stuff. So you have the time to spend on, you know, investing in relationships, maybe writing a thank you note, doing things that are good for your own health and those who are, you know, within your charge. So I hope that we can do that. That's a, yeah. a huge motivation for me uh, personally. So then I would say around, maybe this is like probably five or six months ago, I saw you posting on a physician's group that we're both a part of. And that you you have this podcast network, and I think people were talking about podcasts. 
And so I messaged you and I, I showed you the thank you notes thing. So you graciously said, well, why don't we bring thank you notes under the um, ALM umbrella? Talk to me about like what what was your what were your first impressions of the show? What do you hope to see the show do in the future? What do you think Thank You Notes can provide to the uh, ALM platform? Like I said at the beginning, and every single one of your other guests has said, um, this is a great idea, and just the idea of using a Thank You Note as a basis for a conversation opens up a lot of possibility in terms of. Um, one, practically promoting gratitude. Two, giving people an example of how to express thankfulness and um, its effects uh, on, or what its potential could be in the people to whom you'd be writing something like that. And when I first heard it, your first episode was um, with... My friend Ben Fu. Yes, yes. So I just, I thought that as a conversationalist, it flowed, you flowed really easily. And I would like to see this conversation about gratitude and about, you know, the physical token of that, a thank you message, a thank you note, see more light within our somewhat thankless world. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself. One last question before we get to the, uh, the thank you notes. What advice would you give to somebody who is starting a podcast? And would that be the same advice for a physician starting a podcast? So there's a low barrier to entry for podcasting. Um, So anybody can do it. And I mean, if somebody is a creative type, whether or not they're a physician, I think it's a great medium to express one's ideas or to memorialize or immortalize conversations. The potential benefits of podcasting, like there has been no better networking tool for me. I have got to have conversations with some of my favorite bands by spinning a medical angle to their music. Um, now one of uh, our partners in in ALM is helping develop Thank You Notes is an actual record label. And it, all of it was just due to, you know, having ideas and getting people on board with, um, you know, doing an interview on this or that topic. So I would say, put simply, my advice would be don't underestimate the value of what having a podcast can do for you and your audience um, in terms of encouraging them and educating or whatever the topic is, entertaining. For physicians, I would say I went philosophy, theology to medicine and then wanted to do a podcast. And unfortunately, it's tough nowadays just to create a piece of content. Like inside the board started out, I wanted to write a book. Um, 2013, though, it was pretty clear that, you know, Hard copy books are not going to be fundable. They're not going to be financially Mm. viable by just writing it. And so I thought this content would be better served through an audio platform. And my dad was in radio growing up. So this was a natural, 
you know, fit for me. However, what was not a natural fit was like learning about RSS feeds, editing audio, mixing audio, trying to design a website and all this sort of stuff. But I learned enough to be able to communicate with other people about, you know, how to do things or, or not how, but like what I would like to do. I pretty much got my MBA through podcasts on my uh, treks back home to, to Cleveland uh, from St. Louis when I was stationed there. Just lots and lots of business type podcasts and all this. There were a lot of headaches. So what I would tell physician creators would be learn only enough about the operations and execution of um, what you're doing that you can hand that off to somebody and focus on the content. Your time is probably worth more than you could ever earn from a podcast. Um, That's not going to apply to everyone. You know, save yourself some headaches. And if it starts to seem like a burden, um, try to get back to whatever your original mission was and, and core idea and don't get bogged down in the, you know, the administrative aspects. Or set modest goals. That could be probably another way to do it. Like mm-hmm. know what your purpose is for the show. Um, where do you want it to be um, at launch? You know, a year later, what are its potential? Know your value and, you know, see who you can connect with to to support your creative endeavors. That, that's Good advice, and it, those are conversations I've had to have with myself in the the short run of this podcast. But I will. It's funny you brought up the MBA because when you and I have our meetings, you've always got a list of ideas. You kind of you cut. You've been able to attack this like an MBA, and it's that, that's kind of something that's been in the back of my mind as you attack this like an MBA would. Like, oh, you know, these are the angles for the show. This is what we could do here. We could venture into this. We could go to this chair, et cetera, et cetera. So. Uh, that's 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 all really good advice. So I've got I wrote you a thank you note. I should have done. I had to do it at work today. I don't know if you probably recognize this. So I wrote this during my uh, my surgery today, and it says, "Dear Patrick, thank you for inviting me onto the ALM platform. When I started my show, I had pipe dreams of talking to people whom I admire. With your enthusiasm for the craft and the medium, I feel that anything is possible for my tiny little show." There is a lot of great work happening at Ars Longa, and I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm very much looking forward to working with you and the whole team. Thanks, Travis. Well, thanks, man. I actually wasn't expecting that. I feel like now I feel like I should have come with a thank you note for you. I haven't done anything for you yet, Patrick. Let me let me do something for you. All right. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. All right. So did you bring a thank you note to share with us? Uh, no, I did not. Um, which is a critical error on my part. My uh, my part. We will insert that in here. <laughs> this goes out to Dr. Alicia Thompson, who was an attending when I was in residency training in OBGYN. So here goes. Dear Alicia, where to start? Becoming an OBGYN is not an easy feat, but one thing that eases some of the difficulty is having good mentors and role models. 
From the beginning of residency, you stood out as an exemplary model of how to be a doctor with paramount skill in bedside counseling, surgical acumen, and a deep concern for the well-being of patients and those learners like myself under your supervision. Your brilliance in the field is one thing, but how you've carried yourself as a woman in medicine is truly inspiring. My OBGYN training and practice has given me a lot of insight into the plight of women and the challenges they face in society today, which I'm admittedly often grateful I do not have to face as a dude. Training under you is a masterclass not only in being an OBGYN, but also in gracefully navigating a specialty that feels like it's still finding its feet in terms of how to practice medicine in a way that is sustainable for an individual's life and myriad other human endeavors that, you know, we we have outside of work. Besides this, when I launched Inside the Boards to help medical students prepare for their USMLEs, you and Greg were amongst the first to believe in my idea and invest your resources to get ITB started. Beyond the medical realm, I value the friendship and mentorship that you have offered during my residency, early years in practice, and beyond. Our chats, the guidance, and the endless support, especially around my faith and spiritual journey, have been invaluable. For example, just witnessing how you and Greg do marriage and family life gives me hope and encouragement in terms of my own family life. So in a nutshell, I'm endlessly grateful to you for believing in my work, your kindness, advice, and example. I hope and pray for blessings in your I hope and pray for blessings in your family life and professional work. Thank you. Beeman. Wow, that that was that was a great note, Patrick. I, I really can feel the gratitude you have for this person. Okay, Patrick, last question. Um, your dream podcast guest or a dream podcast for you to be a guest on, what would it be? Um, I mean, I feel like that would... I feel like that could change based on seasons in my life. However, right now... It might be Tom DeLong mm. from uh, Angels Blink and Airwaves and Bleak 182. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Why Tom DeLong? So, you know, he's an enigma to me. Like, I got to take my teenagers to see Blink 182. Um, subsequently, their mom was sort of angry at me because... They're very juvenile, but they're also yes. like, you know, middle aged now. And hearing some of the like scatological humor just, I don't think, plays well. But at the same time, I think Tom DeLong is a poet and he's very creative. And so you see the depth of his art, I think, best in the Angels and Airwaves project. Um, and I, also just love the fact that he has this to the stars media that um, had at least some role in declassifying and releasing um, those videos of the unidentified aer aerial 
phenomena that the Pentagon released in 2018, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I can't reconcile him meeting with DOD officials in a serious capacity with about half the things I heard him say at the concert last month. Um, and I feel like, well, geez, if he can pull that kind of non-standard in this world sort of thing, maybe I can too with all my tattoos as a doctor. You know, I had heard, I I, I knew there were like whispers of, um, him being involved with the aliens, but I, I never like, uh, investigated it further, like what was going on. So that's, that's really interesting. I mean, those, those songs are catchy and they, they've lasted for 30 years for a reason. So I, I think that's pretty good. Yes, I, I agree. And I, yep. And getting to see, um, um, uh, well, I just blanked on his name. Oh, Travis Barker. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's because your name's Travis. I don't know. Might be. But getting to see Travis Barker drum was subliminal. It was awesome. It was really cool. All right. Well, that's a good place to end it there. Patrick Beeman, thank you for uh, thank you for bringing me into the family. Thank you for being a guest. And uh, let's keep working together. Sounds good. More to come. More to come. And don't forget, record your own thank you note over on the Ars Longa Media website. Yes, please do that. And I'll have uh, descriptions for all that in the show notes and in the outro. And that'll do it. Awesome. Well, we hit all the areas I wanted to there. Religion, philosophy, the burnout epidemic, and aliens. Thanks again to Dr. Patrick Beeman for coming on the show. Also want to give a thanks to Dr. Leon Toy. His band Toy Sauce graciously provided the music for our show. You can stream their album on Spotify. He will be a guest on a later episode. Please follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. I will be uploading additional content there. We're going to get into some new areas that I'm really excited about sharing with you. Email the show. The email address is thankyounotespod at gmail. The link for that will be in the show notes and it's on all the socials. Please write me a thank you note. It doesn't have to be to me. It can be to anyone or anything that you like. And I'll feature some of them in my social media channels or on this show. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again. And I'll see you here in two weeks. <laughs>